I would say that's kind of a form of, you know, trying to actually get who the person is as a person, not just from their passport or whatever it is, you know. Course maybe about diversity and uh, neurodiversity and uh, differences in learning. If you make that course mandatory, everyone uh, will learn about it and you will talk about it. And I think that's becoming aware of the, the difficulties. That's step one, maybe. So now I have a more personal person where I can go to from like, okay, um, I'm in trouble. What can we do? And then they really uh, look at what they can do also academically, but also like personally. So that's actually quite nice. Hello, and welcome to the Student Journey podcast, a collaboration between the University of Groningen, the Hanse University of Applied Sciences in Groningen, and NHL Stenden in Leeuwarden, all located in the north of the Netherlands. We'll focus on why our students chose to study at an international university, what it means to be an international student, whether a diverse environment also means inclusion, and what students need and can expect from their teachers. Our discussions will also include soundbites and quotes from various experts and teachers from the different universities. My name is Isidora Jurišić, and I'll be your moderator for this podcast. Today's episode will be about the second part of the student journey, which is making the unknown their own. The subtopics that we will be talking about and discussing primarily are the inclusive uh, learning experience and purposeful learning experiences. So I think we can go ahead with the introductions of all of our panelists today. So maybe we can go from the left to the right. So everyone just introduce themselves, maybe say a little bit about your background. I am Aza Uineza. I am from Rwanda and um, Congo and Uganda, so generally like East Africa. But uh, I moved here from um, Rwanda in in 2022, um, and I'm doing um, hospitality management at, at NHL Stenden, and I'm in my second year. Hi everyone, my name is Ariel, and I'm from Netherlands. Uh, I work for the university in a, for the project Students with a Disability. And my background is uh, the study uh, marketing and communication from the, at the Hans Hogeschool. Okay, well, hi, I'm Onuska. I'm a Dutch student and I moved to Groningen last year, February. The first half year I lived at my parents' house, but due to travel time it was not possible anymore. And uh, I study international business. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here as well. I think that uh, we can just go ahead and start discussing our first subtopic, and that is about the inclusive international learning experience. So my first question is, how inclusive is learning in your international classrooms? Um, yeah, I would say, yes, it is totally inclusive, I think, because... Um, Well, there is a, like for speaking from my own perspective as an international student, everyone is allowed to participate um, and the classes are done in English. So by the teachers, of course, um, the teachers teach in English. So we're able to contribute. Everyone's opinion is like valued and everything. And also given that we um, study using um, DBE, design-based learning or design-based education, um you're in a group so you literally have to participate it's it's mandatory so i think it's 
inclusive. It's they don't base on where you come from or who you are to be able to contribute to a project or anything like that. I can tell about my study uh, at the Hans a few years back because I think back then the, my study was not available in English. So now I heard it is. But in 2017 I finished and back then uh, you only could do the, stu- the study in Dutch. So that was not really inclusive, I think. Do you think that it was still an inclusive learning experience um, based on the fact that, uh, that there were people of different backgrounds, maybe? So was that kind of something and different kind of identities, different mm-hmm. identity aspects? That Did that play uh, along at all? Or Yeah, there were a few people with different backgrounds in education uh, and with different levels of education. So I think that was... There were... Uh, Yeah, different aspects of that and different backgrounds in uh, cultural backgrounds. But yeah, it was a different experience, I think, than how you can experience the studies now, nowadays. Uh, Well, for me, obviously, it's from a different perspective since I am a Dutch student. Uh, I feel like everything is really inclusive. However, what I do experience as a just Dutch student myself um, is that when you're talking to other Dutch people, like in a classroom, you tend to switch over to Dutch quite easy because it's kind of weird to talk English to another person. However, if you... Um, see it from another perspective like from the intercultural competence view it's kind of rude to not talk English so I try to pay attention to that however sometimes it really just slips through so that's something that might be an improvement point but I mean I think if you are aware of it you can definitely pay attention to that and then it shouldn't be any problem. In my course or study um, we have something called MAPSTEL And it's really about like who you are as a person. And obviously that um, comes from your background and everything. So, and there is, um, there is, there is sessions where you're implored to interact with different cultures and like actually interact with them in while you're in class. So it's not, it's not a voluntary um, interaction of whereby um, you talk to someone because you're friends or something. No, this is part of the curriculum. So you're, you express who you are or why you are like that or why you think you are like that. And you also get opinions of other people, how they perceive you and all that. So I would say that's kind of a form of, you know, trying to actually get who the person is as a person, not just from their passport or whatever it is, you know. So I think, yeah, for my study, it pretty is um, quite inclusive. And if I can comment on the um, um, the disability part, obviously I don't have... Um, experience with that but um well we have there's like elevators and um and also like specifically for wheelchairs and stuff and then also obviously with people who can't walk up the stairs or something like that and then um we always have like sitting areas we have uh like low chairs you don't have to always sit like up there's couches in the classrooms and the space that's um like comfortable for them so i Obviously, I don't know how how wide or broad it should be, but I I recognize some things that have been done specifically for okay. such um, for such situations. That sounds really nice. Yeah, I think 
especially for people with a f- uh, functional uh, disability, especially for p- people in a wheelchair or something. I think at the uh, university uh, from Groningen, we are really we are working really hard to uh, improve yeah. the, the, the the buildings and everything, yeah. and the toilets. But I also did an interview with a student a few weeks ago uh, with a student with uh, autism, and he told me that he is now thinking about a new building for the FAP faculty for the um, FAP. Um, economy, economy uh, faculty, and he told me that for people with autism or HDD or HD, HD, it's really uh, important that there are not that much stimulus in their yes. surroundings. Mm. So also that, so like uh, really uh, bright colors or a lot of noise uh, or a lot of smells in the garden. So that are also things that are really important for university or education yeah. uh, buildings. Uh, well, for me, from Hansa, like as you guys were saying, um, the part where you actually have like a physical disability is actually quite good in Hansa. I would see like I'm not an expert, but like f- like what you said before, um, like the elevators and stuff, but turning to the mental disability, such as autism or ADHD, which I have, there is not really much to be done. Uh, you have to go to like a counselor, and then the only thing they like m- might offer you is uh, f- only for the exam another classroom, maybe. Okay, and yeah, so a different exam room if you have if you experience too much noise or d- yeah. So for example, just like people leaving the room is really distracting yeah. for me. Like I'm on medication right now, but like I got diagnosed in January. So that's like quite new, yeah. but looking at like what they, well, like you were saying before, um, the colors, uh, everything is just really noisy. And then when you're in a room with like 300 people and everyone is getting up, leaving, zipping bags, then I'll get stressed and I'll yeah. just like close my exam and just leave the room because I know I can't focus anymore. But yeah, that was quite um, harsh. So in order to improve the mental part of like mm-hmm. a disability, there should have definitely been looked at more. And what, what do you think there could be done more for yourself? Um, well, that's a good question. Um Besides the exam facilities, of course, because I think those are really important. Yes, they are. But also just during class, there are um, people who might just talk during class, which sometimes I am. But like, um, for example, when you're just sitting in class and like the teacher is teaching stuff and um, everyone is talking, I won't listen to the teacher, but everyone who's talking in the back. So maybe just like some general code of just mm-hmm. if you are in the class just uh pay respect and listen to the teacher so the other people might not get distracted maybe that other people or other students become more aware of those yeah uh, that might help for for several students because i th- don't think a lot of students are aware of these kind of uh difficulties no, I don't think so either. <laughs> it's like, for me, it's normal because like yeah. everyone around me has like autism, ADHD, whatever. <laughs> so like everyone is aware of it and then we take it yeah. to into account. But like, I'm also not that type of person, generally speaking, then who's like, okay, I'm just going to have ADHD because people no. will just like put you in a box. Put a label on you, yeah. And 
yeah, well, that's not definitely not something you just want. So that's no, kind of sad. As in the first episode, we would like to play for you a few sound bites from experts and teachers and ask you for your opinion on this. For our listeners, more information on our experts and teachers can be found in the description of this episode. This time you will hear an excerpt from a conversation with Pepe Vong, a senior lecturer at the International Business Study Programs at NHL Stenden in Leeuwarden. For an inclusive uh, learning environment, it's very important to be able to understand that that should be a climate or an environment um, whereby students do feel supported. Um, they do feel that there is a sense of belonging as well, um, irregardless of their own identity, their cultural background, or you know preferences that they come with as well. Um, and to enable this, it is very important to for you know for uh, the institution to be able to help students to reach their very full potential. Uh, within this inclusive learning environment. Um, and I think uh, one of the key things at the end would be to, you know, the key objective is to create this um, very supportive and positive uh, peer culture environment as well. I think I can just kind of give the floor to you and maybe in response to what Pepe just said. So uh, is there something that specifically piqued your interest or made you think about your own experience yeah um when when she talked about um a space or um somewhere where students feel like they belong we literally have a team's environment called the safe space and uh, yeah and in my study of course um i don't know if it's in like all the studies at NHL Stenden, but for hotel management, we do have that. And it's from, um, it's from the personal and professional development um, coach or, or part of the study. So we, we have um, a coach that you start with from your first semester of the year, of your course, of your whole course, until you finish. So literally four years um, with that person. And we have um, personal and professional development sessions, which is with your group that you started with. So even when you, even when you're you go to different groups or something else, um, you basically you disperse with, from your teammates um, in other course course units or something like that. Uh, in the above years, you still have that foundation of the of the prof- personal and professional development sessions. So you still keep coming back to each other at the end of the day and you're this um, tight-knit group that you're in. And uh, when you actually get to think about it, these people know you from when you started and w- and where you are at your last um, at your last level in the education system. So I think I think that actually really stood out to me. So the next expert we'll be hearing from is Jan Rizabos, a professor in educational innovation in economics and business and the academic lead of the teaching academy at the University of Groningen. Safe learning environment is of course the, the basic for learning. So if, if, if you would like to develop yourself, you have to feel safe to challenge yourself. And safety is um, is also um, uh, a part of learning that that you are being supervised in a learning process. So you you should feel safe to 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 do this challenge, to engage in a challenge. On the other hand, you also need to 
finish a learning module, a course, or whatever else, which in includes an assessment part. And the assessment doesn't feel that safe for a lot of students. And so, so there's a, a balance in this respect. So at the one hand side, you would need a kind of supervision to, to challenge yourself in your learning process. At the other hand, you feel that you need a kind of formal feedback, summative feedback on your learning process to know how well have I actually acquired the learning that I need for the remaining part of my study program. So safety is, is some, something which has to be designed into the system. How does that maybe relate to your experience? What I can say, like what you have to present at the end of the course, is not an exam or anything. You have to do a portfolio or a showcase of your journey. And it involves um, different different topics, which can be of your choice if you want to, but also they also give you like guidelines of what to follow. So this coach is literally um, following what you're doing with your life or, or also not your personal life, like, you know, not like very personal, but um, in terms of career and also your um, aspirations and what you want to do in the future. So, for example, for second year, we're supposed to um, read a book about leadership, who inspires us as um, as a leader, and we reflect on who we want to be as leaders. And so basically, it really um, develops your skills to think to think of how you're going to be in the real world, of how you're going to um, implement these things that you're actually learning. So I would say it's, um, I, I would say in this regard, the NHL Senate is kind of doing a pretty good job to make, to just give people a safe environment to feel like you can fail. You, and the, there is nothing that's wrong because it's your opinion. So they do guide you and they give you feedback, but um, they just encourage you to also be creative and very original. If I can uh, comment on that, because when you talk about um, your professional development course, I think that's really it's a really good course. And I had uh, also that course during my study with a coach, indeed, an yeah. SLB in the in Dutch, yeah. and it was through her through the whole study. So it, that was really nice. But back then, um, the course was really focused on your personal development that was of course that's really good but i i think it lacked a bit the experience with the personal development within the group so that you will talk with each other about diversity indeed and and, and about uh differences in learning differences in working together because we had to do a lot of group, group work i think at your school and at nl standing uh, yeah. the same yeah. i think when I heard you talk about it, it, it developed uh, a lot. Yeah. And that's really good and that it is a safe environment. And of course, it was not that I felt unsafe, but it was a bit focused on um, success success, and uh, on your commercial yeah. Yeah. development in a real career way. So much more professional than personal. Really. Yes. Mm. And not within the group. Only uh, focused as an individual. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it has changed a lot because there's literally um, 
parts of the learning outcomes where you have to explain who you are in the group as a team member or uh, how other people perceive you. It's in like your mission statement and all that. And there's a lot of reflection. So people are always complaining about, oh, now we have to reflect again. But <laughs> but it's actually, when you look at it in hindsight, it actually is really important because it just makes you think about things that you never thought were important when you are not working in like a diverse or, or like a, a culturally diverse environment. You know, so I think, it yes, it has yeah. really developed quite a lot. And I have one example, <laughs> because there was some, uh, like an assignment that you needed to create some creative thing. Like uh, you can imagine like, or a painting or like uh, writing a part or like an arty thing uh, that showed how you are and how you think. Uh, or something but and i i remember i created like a like a egg glass uh, b- glass uh, ball of glass or like an egg of glass or something with all kind of candy in it <laughs> and candy like uh with yeah there was a, like a big chaos that was the thing mm. <laughs> and i wanted to explain that i think a lot and i had some anxiety anxiety problems and that kind of things so I was really open and uh, um, uh, how do you call it in English? Kwetsbaar. Uh, vulnerable. For I was really vulnerable. And then the teacher told me, yeah, but everyone uh, has something, right? And she was downgrading it a lot. So I was not feeling safe back then in that classroom. So that was not really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, for me, the experience is different because I went to another school. Uh, I'm going to another school, <laughs> as you guys did. Um, I'm going to Hansa. I also had the professional uh, development course. However, it was quite different with us. We just had okay. one student mentor for year one. And then you had like a group of like 30 people with one student mentor. And once in a while, you had like a small talk, how you were doing and um quite individual I would say yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't re- I didn't really share that much with my uh, academic advisor um, but after so the first year was quite all right like the professional development course as you were saying is actually quite focused on the professional part not really the personal part and for the second year we have now one student mentor for three classes <laughs> Uh, So when talking about guidance from a teacher, from my experience at least, um, there's not much uh, the second year. However, I am doing the honors course uh, on top of the normal uh, course. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Um, So we do have the group thing in honors. So we have like, we're with four people and then one uh, student mentor who is like also personality matched I would say and then they stay with us until the end of the honors course so for the upcoming three years so now I have a more personal person where I can go to from like okay um, I'm in trouble what can we do and then they really uh, look at what they can do also academically but also like personally so that's actually quite nice. So I think that before we continue the discussion we can hear uh, a quote from our expert Jan Rizabos again from the University of Groningen. 
And that's what we actually in, uh, in our universities are aiming for. Not just putting people together, but actually helping them to, deserve, uh, to develop, develop their competences to communicate with each other and also to find value in working together. Yes. So does anyone maybe have something to say in terms of how institutions can then progress and what can we take out of this? What can we really apply to make the international learning experience more inclusive? My my experience is positive because I have put in work, right? But uh, the way we study is also very, very relaxed, right? So it's, it's more of um, personal initiative, which is a good thing because it allows you to be creative, it allows you to do all this, but it also, um, it also kind of limits the people who are not very proactive in a way, because then, and which also affects the other people within the environment. So in turn, they're going to affect everyone else because they have not grown from what is trying to be taught, right? So I think maybe... Um, like, for example, my class specifically, maybe they can just be a little bit more, they can hold people a little bit more accountable to learning. Well, my experience has been positive, like um, from my teacher or curriculum, you know, interaction, like it's a vertical, it's a, it's a vertical relationship. But my peer relationship is not is not that great to be honest, like with other students, because everyone, as you said, everyone is like already going into Dutch you know, like the, you speak a little bit of English and they're already, you know, and they don't even think, even when you're in a group with people and you're actually trying to discuss an assignment, they'll speak Dutch for like a good 30 minutes and you're looking at them, you're like, I'm here, <laughs> you know, exactly. So the vertical relationship is good. So the teachers are doing their job. They're trying, you know, that they're, yeah, they're implementing the curriculum and it's good and it has a good content. But I'm thinking uh, the students need to be held a little bit more accountable. So it can also be, you know, um, good for everyone. Maybe set some uh, set some ground rules or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also make sure they're implemented. Yeah, because there's yeah. setting because they, okay. they, there's always the talk of because I mean even when we start the class, the teacher is like, yeah, this is an English class. Okay, said, we, we're in an international course. It needs to be done. And before you know it, even the teacher is kind of lured into speaking <laughs> Dutch because it's like everyone else is anyway. So you know, why don't we just do it? So that implementation also just needs to be. Um, a little bit more yeah. vigilant. Hansa University, well, at least like the IBS school, so that's my faculty within, uh, Hansa has guidelines for this. I wouldn't know specifically what they are, except the English part, but like I think it's more about just implementing those rules, actually. So do you think that maybe, because you, you said that there are pro uh, guidelines, there are rules, but they aren't necessarily being implemented. Is it more necessary? Am I getting it cor correctly? Yeah. Yeah, yes. I think so, yeah. Yes, I think the policies are there, but uh, actually putting them in practice is, uh, I guess also it reaches a point and there is like kind of a gray area. This is, um, this is a bit out of, I don't know, out of my, it's not out of my study because it is my study still, but we do, um, we do practice, right? We do, um, in hotel management, there is a there is a semester where there is a month where we actually get to do practical practicals at the hotel, um, at Notice Hotel, which is part of NHL standard. And I ha I haven't had the experience myself, but I have had people who have told me if you don't speak Dutch, then you don't get to do um, 
you don't get to work at the front office of the hotel for practice because you don't speak Dutch or because you don't understand Dutch. And that's like, okay, we understand that you're in Friesland. Maybe most of your customers are Dutch, but we are here doing this course, you know, like you invited us to this call. So what exactly, like if you're um, limiting some opportunities from me because I don't speak the language, it doesn't make sense. So they need to find a way to reconcile the differences and actually make it work, you know, because you're... Uh, you're you're taking responsibility. You need to take responsibility for the people that you've invited to your to your facility. So yeah, and maybe I don't know if you agree with that, but you said like the the ground rules are there, the policies are there, yes. but not everybody is following them. So maybe it's also that we need to get used to, and we have to talk about it a lot more. I think what we do, what we are doing here. But yeah, of course. Maybe the rules are there, but then. In the classrooms, uh, I think teachers need to talk about it. And of course, they, they are saying, yeah, you need to speak English. But that's not enough, apparently. No. Yeah. <laughs> so to explain why and explain why we need to uh, yeah, to see what everybody needs. If, if, you, if you're telling me I'm coming to the school and these are the opportunities that are available, they need to be available to everyone. You can't tell me, oh, sorry, but you don't speak Dutch. And it's an it's an international course. I came knowing it's an international course, you know. So they they just need to hold themselves accountable too for the policies they've agreed to. In this case, I we we are sort of you're really pu- pushing all of the points that we kind of wanted to discuss. So I'm really glad that the conversation <laughs> is flowing so well. Um, so how can we really make that happen, or how can teachers make that happen in their classroom? So how can they facilitate inclusive learning? To integrate it in a whole system, you mean? Uh, uh, Maybe more so in their own classroom, I would say. So, for example, if you are in a classroom, how is it possible to make that classroom and that learning that you are experiencing inclusive for everyone, really? So you were already touching on it a little bit by saying, okay, you need to make students aware, you need to make teachers follow rules, policies to actually make them recognize all these things. So how can they do that? Are there any activities maybe or something you've experienced that has worked? Well, uh, for me, we had like, I think for six periods already, we had uh, intercultural competence. Um, But the thing is, um, you don't have to go to the class. And uh, (laughs) there are generally not many students in there. And I think uh, for me, actually, because it's something I find very interesting. So I actually read the book, I did the research, but I know many people didn't. So they might not be aware of it. So I think for Hansa, maybe like making intercultural competence uh, um, what do I call it again? Uh, Compulsory, mandatory, mandatory, mandatory uh, subject. I think a lot of people would be more aware of it than just doing the assignment at the end and uh, pass with like a five point five because that's obviously <laughs> a Dutch thing. <laughs> yeah, that's just, uh, yeah. I, I totally agree because I was just thinking about that as well, like making that kind of courses. Is uh, courses mandatory and of course first of all some people are thinking no I don't want to do it or but I think that's really important that not only intercultural courses but also like courses maybe about diversity and uh, neurodiversity and uh, differences in learning 
if you make that course mandatory, everyone uh, will learn about it and you will talk about it. And I think that's becoming aware of the, the difficulties. That's step one, maybe. Yeah. I personally think the teachers are doing a good job because when it comes to like class, to be honest, the experience has been good, right? So even when, of course, some things will go wrong, people end up speaking Dutch and stuff. Those are things that can be um, adjusted like day to day. But I think there's also things that they're not in control of that are, that, that I'll give an example. We, in, uh, in, in second year, second semester, we're supposed to do, um, we're supposed to do a language, right? So there's this, um, so they, they sent us emails, a language fair, and they told us, okay, all of you need to come and choose the language that you're supposed to do. But before you choose the language, they give you a speech. They basically, they sell to you the language that you're supposed to do. So, um, so there is a, there's an option for German, um, German, French, Spanish, and Italian. Already there is no Dutch involved. And it's like, Dutch would make my life easier in the Netherlands. <laughs> So they introduce the <laughs> they introduce the languages and they're telling us, okay, before you choose the language that you're going to do, please think of your future, think of where you want to work, you know, think of um, where you want to live in the future, who you want to be as a professional, and what's going to bring the biggest impact for you in your career and I, I guess also in your personal life. And we're like, yeah, of course, you know, we're ready, we're thinking, we're taking notes, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and then at the end, um, the presenter tells us. In Ger for German and French, it's only A2 that's going to be given. And for Italian and Spanish, it's A1. The, so I ask, so why, you know, why is it like that? And is it, isn't it unfair for people who actually don't have A1? So she says, um, I'm, uh, we, we, we know that most of you have done A1 in your secondary schools. And I'm looking around, I'm like, who is most of us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who is most of us? Like, you don't know how many, how many people or how many uh, countries are in this room right now. And you're saying most of you have done A1, you know, German and French. So the assumption that everyone has done something. And you called me to a language fair and you're telling me, think <laughs> about your future. I'm like, I thought about my future. I want to do French, but now it's not possible. So basically, you're giving me two options to do this, to, to choose from. And yet everyone else probably has four options, you know. You are really expressing here how, in a way, I think that the system is made up so that the opportunities are just not given and we don't have the possibilities. But we do have a quote from uh, Jan Riesenvos uh, again that might be relevant to what you're saying and how this can be facilitated. I just gave an example. This might help to give an idea. We have an international business program in our university where students have to study abroad for half a year. And part of this study abroad can be an internship in a company. Um, a lot of students from the Netherlands will go to all locations in Asia, in uh, Africa, in Europe, in Americas, etc., and learn how to encounter new cultures. But for a lot of our international students who have come to Groningen, the challenge is not to go to another country and learn there. So we offer them, for example, the opportunity to engage in internships in Dutch companies where they still have to do international business kind of jobs, uh, challenges, etc. So I think this is what, one of the things that we learned, that not all students should be treated equally in opportunities we offer.
But the value for a Dutch student to go to a Dutch company to do an internship over there with Dutch colleagues, uh, even if it would be an assignment on, on exporting to, uh, to China, is not the, similar to uh, Chinese students coming here and doing the same kind of challenge. So there is um, a difference between students in, in what they need to actually encounter this international learning experience. And we try to facilitate this, but it's a learning process. Now, there's also this category of students who actually uh, are not able to go abroad because not all programs can offer a study abroad. Now, at University of Groningen, and I also know that, that um, uh, Hansa and NHL offer this kind of opportunities, we have this virtual projects uh, where you actually work with students from other universities in the, in, in, uh, in the world on an assignment. So there's a kind of fertile exchange. It doesn't cost you a lot of money. It, it, it might mean that you have to work together on a time you normally not study. <laughs> so because of the time differences between the, the student groups. But fertile exchange is a kind of uh, activity we offer for students, especially in the language programs, which is very successful in working with students who actually are able to speak the, uh, their own language uh, and this kind of projects. Yeah, I agree, I think, because studying online, I think you have more experiences with it now <laughs> due to Corona <laughs> than, than I have. But I have experience working online and I started at uh, my job at the UMCG uh, when COVID was already there and the, the experience was totally not the same as when I how I work now and I think studying is the same right of course I know uh, because it's also really interesting I think for some students with uh, ADD or ADHD uh, or autism some of them likes uh, studying online a lot and maybe you know more about that but um, so well it could be really nice but Yeah, uh, for me, it's like I am an extrovert. So I do uh, actually enjoy like stimuli-wise. Uh, learning for me alone is nice. But at the same time, I'm missing like the, uh, yeah, the, co the, the contact with other people. Because if you are studying online and you had to go in like breakout rooms, you had to discuss this topic. Uh, well, yeah. there wasn't anything to be discussed. It was just black screen. Um <laughs> And no one was even putting on the microphone coming back and some people might actually type something in the chat but that was it so um yeah. but i mean yeah it was actually nice but at the same time i feel like the interaction was so different that it didn't give the international vibes but coming back to your point when you had to uh choose a language right for the semester um i am a dutch student so i have to go abroad so that's also what the uh guy from the message earlier was saying like i have to go abroad to get the same experience so that's actually quite nice that they do that however when choosing the language in the first year so i have to follow the language for two years and then you get like the a2 level i think um but for me i was like oh let me learn a new language i would chose spanish but like i don't want to go to spain i just like to learn the language, <laughs> the language. but now um uh, I'm going to Germany, but I can't do the German courses because I don't have the level to do the German courses. And I didn't say that at the beginning of Hansa because otherwise I would have just chosen German because I studied German for five years in high school. So for Hansa, that might, so might be like an extra point yeah. to actually let them know like, okay, um, 
what you're going to choose will affect your choices later on. Well, we could both learn from each other because as as for you, they don't tell you why you should do it, but they offer it. But for us, they tell you why you should do it, but they don't offer it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so we should just, you know, exchange ideas. How do, in your experience, your teachers facilitate purposeful learning? It definitely depends on what kind of project you have. Um, for example, last year there were some uh, interesting projects, uh, which the teachers didn't even like. And if you are not, like, if the teacher is not, standing there and like it's being enthusiastic then I'll be like okay this is gonna be one of those projects however like for example uh, beginning this year we had this project it's finance it's based on financial sheets which are published from a company and you had to like make an analysis of this company based on those sheets so you're actually using something that's already online and putting like the theory you're learning from financial accounting to practice uh, which is something I really love uh, well, there are projects which, like, theory is cool. And then, like, you learn, like, because we have, like, subjects those are related to the project, but then the theory doesn't apply in the in the project. So not everything that you're learning is actually useful for the project. So that's kind of, like... Yeah, I think I had not the same experience, but I, I understand what you say about your experience at Hansa because in my study at Hansa... The progress projects were really nice. There were a lot of projects um, that we were doing uh, in um, in collaboration with companies, and that were real questions from the company. So that was really nice. But a lot of different courses, like also the English courses, were really yeah basic. It was pretty much the same as my uh, pre-university education at uh, high school. And I thought, okay, what do we learn in this English class? I mean, it would be really nice to to do like projects in English, for example, if you would really uh, like to do like the English class, but not only learn words. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was the same with some different uh, other different classes. So I, yeah, I had a bit of uh, the same experience as you have. I'm actually quite curious yeah. at how you perceive it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't be so positive, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's nice if you're. I've said this whole thing, but uh, well, okay. Disclaimer: I'm kind of a nerd, right? So I'm that person who like goes to class and like is like asking all the questions. So. I kind of also create my own experience, I think, or I live in my head or something like that. I'm not sure. But um, with projects, I can say, yes, oh, they, we are gaining what we're supposed to gain. Because, uh, take an example, this uh, this semester we're doing um, our our challenge, our, our design challenge is um, to create um, to create a training program for people, for the hospitality employees in Ghana. Ghana, Africa, right? And design, uh, design based education. The first, the first, um, the first, what is it called? The first step to actually even start your project is like empath- empathizing, right? So you have to literally do the research. You have to read. You have to read about the cultures. You have to do. You have to read about the current situation, what's going on, and all that. So you, and then also, in the middle of all this, from all the knowledge that you're gaining obviously from the research if you actually take take your time to do it and that's why i'm saying it also really kind of depends on your initiative for my for my kind of study because it's very self-driven 
you know. So you could re- easily rely on your group mates to do all the work, right? And then you probably won't get anything from the situation. And at the end of the day, you're going to get your results because your group worked hard and you passed, you know. So, But you get to do the research yourself. You get to empathize with different cultures or with different industry partners. There's people um, who are working with, um, I think, a, cup, a Danish couple, you know, that just moved to the Netherlands and they want to start, they want to start a business. So they're actually also working with them. So there is like beautiful stories that you actually hear and you're like, okay, I, I'm even curious about the other project. It's in the same <laughs> class, but you're like, maybe I want to, you know, be in the other project. So it's, it's actually quite, um, it's very versatile, I think. But you have to um, do the work to be able to uh, gain what they're trying to offer. But I think it really is accomplishing a lot. I think it covers a lot of um, what we need for the real world. Um, but I can definitely feel that people are more driven through the culture that is actually, well, I don't know how to call it. Like yeah, yeah, culture? Like yeah, the culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the culture. culture within the class. Like yeah. I'm like, oh, let me get those grades. Like I... <laughs> Let me get this great. <laughs> yeah, but it is actually true because now I am I am actually preparing. I am actually studying. Obviously, I'm still like a reset because I'm be like, uh, I won't have to drive until I actually reach the final point. But that's just me. But like the general, um, yeah, the general uh, culture was like much more motivated, and that motivated me more in order to uh, study more and to prepare. So I would also say like one of the things is actually the culture you have within the class, the study culture is actually so significant, yeah. uh, important for the purposeful studying. Yeah. yeah. But do you think, do you think that's as a result of the curriculum that is being offered? Like, or do you think it's just generally up to like who people are in classes? Like, man, today's not a good day. The weather is bad again. <laughs> so, I don't, so I don't want to be here. Like, you know, like what is it really? Mm, I think it's like a sort of like a combination uh, of both. Obviously, it does depend on the person, but it also depends on how the teacher is standing in front of the class. If people mm-hmm. are enthusiastic about the subject, then I'll be like, okay, or well, interesting. Uh, let me tell about it more. So, mm. um, yeah, for me, it's definitely about the vibe within the class and the vibe that the teacher is giving, who's giving the subject. I think for us, one thing that I know, uh, at initial stand, we are being spoon fed, but I enjoy it because it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes, yeah, no, seriously. Wait, oh, I, and I think um, I have had the, I have, I, I've been lucky to experience because um, we do have like atelier, which is um, like the main class for your project, right? So you work on the project uh, from the starting phase up to like the final document or um, the final uh, product, and then we have like supporting. Um, professional assignment classes, you know, like expert sessions. So, for example, if we're working with this project to create the training facility in to to create the training program in Ghana, we have like marketing on the side and you know all these things. But we do them in support of our project. They're teaching us the tools, the marketing tools, to basically maybe market this program. You know. So it's kind of all interrelated. But what I know is every time we ask, in fact, usually it's too much information, not less. So And it's very engaging. They, it's always um, teachers use, um, teachers use uh, what do they call tools, learning tools like wood club. So they'll put it on the, um, they'll put it on like the board and like everyone is going to answer. And it's anonymous. So you're not scared to like give a wrong answer, you know. So you're just you're putting in answers and then it's really interactive and very 
and very motivating. And of course, there is those days where everyone comes to class and it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> but it's also a situation of the teacher is going to recognize it. And usually they'll maybe let you off a little bit early. We have breaks in between class. There's like coffee machines all over the school. So they're always like, oh, go take some coffee, come back. Sometimes I'm even like, we don't even need a break. We just began, you know, but I think that the teachers can read the mood and... And we then they will, yeah, exactly, NHL, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I think maybe this is like an initial <laughs> advert or something, but it's I, that's really my experience with it. So, yeah. Thank you. It's been interesting to hear from your different perspectives. For example, what you said about the role of language and about having an international experience. However, we do need to round off our discussion and perhaps formulate some takeaways based on our conversation today. Are there any changes you would like your institution to implement? Are there any recommendations you would like to give to your institutions? Uh, I would say uh, for Hansa, just make uh, intercultural competence uh, a mandatory subject because uh, then people would actually gain knowledge and it definitely helps working in an international environment in a national class. Uh, international communication, everything is discussed in that class. But like, if people are not going to the class, there's like, uh, a, there's no knowledge about that. So I think that's actually quite important for Hansa to implement uh, the intercultural thing as mandatory, in order to get the students to gain the knowledge. I don't have the student experience at the university, but maybe it would be really nice to. Um integrate like an inter, uh, intercultural course i don't know they are there at a uh, university but they are not mandatory i don't i think and i don't know if that's possible of course but maybe that would be nice and also like a diversity course so not only the cultural aspects but also like the the diversity in people and uh, uh, the, the differences in learning but if it's possible to make it mandatory at the Hansa and at the and, and standard, maybe it's a bit more different because, of course, it's different than university uh, education, but it could be an option. Would it be an option to perhaps, instead of having a separate course with relation to intercultural competence, uh, to integrate it into the learning experience to, and to integrate it into teaching of different courses? Yeah, like in the at the beginning of some classes or something. Yeah, that would be an option. Like talking about intercultural experiences and about diversity experiences. I think that would be the best idea to integrate it in all classes. And your final message, maybe? Um, yeah, my final message would be um, the institution itself or the system of the institution needs to... Um, review their policies and hold themselves accountable to what um, they tell people that they're getting and also just be a little bit more transparent between the opportunities that are available to everyone in their um, capacities. Thank you very much. Uh, your opinions are very much valued and I think that we really had a very interesting conversation and I think we can wrap up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast on the student journey. This podcast was produced by Katrin Meissner, Rina Fokel de Vries, Peter Elting, Marcel van der Poel, 
Carol Fuller, Estelle Maima, Justine Jones, and Xiaoming Su. We'd like to thank Wim Bruns of Vlakland Kommunikatsi for his technical assistance and the Teaching Academy Hroninge for their support. Please also listen to the other episodes of our podcast. There are three in total for you to explore. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate and review it.